Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spaciano, joined, as always, by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? All I'm going to say is this is going to be a Fizan Shizo. <laughs> you know, we talk so much, Benny, about all the unique guests, the fun guests, the stories we have. Uh, I think unique is probably the best word for the guest we have tonight that's talking with us. Uh, maybe that doesn't do him justice. I don't know. Why don't you tell the people who's joining us this evening? Well, our guest has wrestled all over the, the not the country, the globe for over two decades. And uh, but to call this man a wrestler would, would be really cut him short. I mean, this is a man of many talents, author, illustrator, illustrator, promoter, teacher, martial artist, hell, even a tattoo artist. And uh, most some wrestling fans know him as Sin from uh, Total Nonstop Action Wrestling and others know him as Kizarni in WWE. And uh, wherever this man goes, uh, Fizun Fizalos. And please welcome our very special guest, Sin Bodhi. Sin, welcome to the Dan and Benny in the Ring Show. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. How are you? Our pleasure. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. We're doing great. So uh, before I ask you any questions, I actually have to publicly thank you. And this is a true story. So right around the time the Kazarni vignettes came out, I was working uh, for local government in the Office of Management and Budget. And if anybody ever wants to experience a job with uh, totally devoid of fun and pleasure, they should get a job in county government with the office of management and budget. And my my boss totally embodied all the virtues of joylessness and, and lack of fun. And it was really unbearable working with him. But then one night I had a dream and um, he he actually in the dream he was speaking carny. And he said, Wizard, uh, Yizu, Wizurk, Lizate. And I said, Fizuk, Nizo. And uh, so after that, uh, he was actually, because every time he approached me after that, it was kind of like Charlie Brown's teacher. I mean, I just heard him talking and talking in Carney, and it, life was a lot more pleasant. So I wanted to thank you for that um, because it made, it made that job bearable for the next year that I had it. Um, question, uh, which I'm sure you get asked all the time. You, you grew up with the, these these chap, chaps named uh, Jason Riso and Adam Copeland, better known as Christian and Edge. So uh, did you guys pretty much simultaneously decide that you wanted to make uh, wrestling your, your lifetime vocation? Uh, uh, first off, I just got to just give uh, your audience a disclaimer that there will be dogs barking and chickens clucking and cats meowing and tortoises turtling and all that stuff in this household so it's just sort of uh it's the jungle that is my fortress of solitude so well hopefully the tortoises will keep it down or enjoy whichever way you want to take it but there, i really can't uh control the clucking and barking and stuff especially when the mailman shows up my dogs lose their mind and they, they live the cliche but um yeah i grew up with edge and christian yeah good dudes still uh you know to this day we're we're, we're tight um yeah, we. I mean, we all grew up loving wrestling. You know, we played a recess. Can't tell me how many times. You know, we knocked the crap out of each other in the in the playground. You know, at recess and all that stuff, or after school in the backyard and just in the front yard or wherever. Just as little kids, like I don't, I'm not talking about backyard wrestling. I just mean like like literally like little kids pretending to be Rock and Roll Express or Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan or whatever. Like 
that little of kids where we were just, you know, pretending and make believing and all that jazz. Was there still, uh, I, I'm thinking this is probably late seventies, early eighties. Was there still when, when, you know, growing up in Toronto, was it just WWE you were able to watch or was there, was there any other territory stuff like stampede or big time wrestling or anything like that? In so, okay. So we grew up in Orangeville, which is just outside of Toronto. Now, Adam and Jay, they had, I'm sure they had cable and all that stuff like in there, like Jay, you know, had a house in the ta- in town. Uh, Adam and his mom had an apartment. So where I lived out in the country, so my cable and stuff was sort of non-existent. So I had a couple of channels and one of which uh, got WWF Saturday morning and Sunday morning and all that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of what we knew, but we would flock to the little variety stores every you know a few weeks or whatever when there was a new pro wrestling illustrated or or you know some such and uh, so we would see photos of you know road warriors and rock and roll express and rick flair and guys that we really didn't get to see a whole lot of video on it's certainly not on tv but then too like we would we'd have to race to the video store and and buy you know uh Starcade or or something like that on a videotape or rent it and have to bring it back a couple of days later. Um, so what we got was mostly WWF, and then we got a tiny, tiny bit of AWA. Um, sometimes uh, we didn't, we really didn't get Stampede in Toronto. Yeah, that's kind of far. Um, but we, you know, we we hunted down wrestling tapes as we as we sort of figured that stuff out. But anything that we get our hands on, we would watch for sure. That's uh, Toronto is a big hotbed of wrestling back in the day. I mean, they, you know, I guess they even had like didn't they have they would have joint WWF slash NWA cards. I'm thinking like back in the 70s and 80s, they had you know uh, Gene Kaniski, uh, I'm trying to think of Dory Funk, all those guys. Briscoe defended their titles there. That was a bit. That was kind of before our time. We were just you know itty bitty little little kids at that stage of the game. Um, but like in the in the eighties, mid eighties is kind of when we were awoke to pro wrestling, and then uh, as little teeny boppers, we would go down to Maple Leaf Gardens and we would watch WWF. I remember uh, remember seeing Shane Douglas in a dark match when he was still like a brand new guy. He was just some guy with a bleach blonde mullet, little pink undies, you know, ripped, <laughs> jumping around, shaking, shaking his fist at everybody, showing he was a like a goody two shoes little baby face and. You know, we we would watch, you know, uh, Bushwhackers versus Demolition. And I mean, I remember uh, Edge and I were both uh, there live for the big event with Hulk Hogan versus Paul Orndorff. And Andre the Giant is part of the machines against Bundy and Stud and Heenan and Jake, Jake the Snake taking on Ricky Steamboat. And Steamboat had his little baby dragon with him and Jake had his snake and all that stuff. And those that was that was the era that I grew up in. It was like, you nice. know, 80s. WWF was was my jam. Like I think Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan was really the very first thing that I kind of sunk my teeth into, like the war to settle the score and all that stuff. It was really so surreal just to this day, growing up and knowing knowing some of these guys, being in the ring with some of these guys and so forth. Like Jake was my instructor, like my my main mentor. You know, Ron Hutchinson, you know, uh taught Edge and Christian and then later on me and Trish Stratus and um gail kim and beth phoenix and so forth but um like ron was like our original trainer kind of like our our basics trainer like showed us how to move in the ring and how to you know how to 
you know, do your wrestling basics, as we would say. And then as I ventured off, I really learned my psychology out and about from guys like Jake the Snake and later on Dusty Rhodes and Ricky Steamboat, Al Snow, Dr. Tom, and, and so forth. So uh, Rip Rogers. So my pedigree of teachers is pretty awesome. And Edge and Christian was the same way because they were learning from guys, that, you know, in different tours. Like they learned a lot from Rick Martell and Bad News Brown. And then, uh, and again, Dr. Tom as well at, at WWE and WWF at the time. And so how we learned was, was very interesting. Like we, we were in that weird uni- unicorn age of, uh, as Undertaker, like said on the, the Joe Rogan podcast, like everybody kind of got old at the same time. There was not a big transitional age group to kind of give new information. And so we are in that weird, very, very niche age group of guys that were old enough to wrestle with guys from the eighties, but young enough to wrestle with the guys now. Right. So, you know, a lot of what we carry around with us is a lot of that lost art, old school stuff that might not be rocket science. It's just not stuff that's taught these days. So a lot of the guys just don't know how to do that stuff just because there wasn't a lot of old school dudes there willing at the time to really relay that information. Gotcha. Speaking of time periods, you, you mentioned, and it, you, what you said was perfect for, uh, you know, being old enough to, to wrestle the, the, the class with the, uh, the golden era and young enough to, to have wrestled the guys today. You also kind of came up in an era where there wasn't the territories as we would know them of the past, but it wasn't the mainstream product of today either. It was kind of a hybrid time. What was that like in say, you know, at that time period, kind of get it cutting your teeth in the independent scene in an era when the territories were considered dead, like the independent wrestling was rebuilding. We found places to go that had, you know, not quite territories, but places that ran often, like in my earlier years when I first went and did uh, the NWA TNA stuff and I migrated um, a girlfriend at the time, Tracy Brooks, who is now, I believe, happily married to Frankie Kazarian. So congratulations to them for living a happy life, having a wonderful family. Um, but we had sort of traveled out and we did NWA TNA and, you know, we lived in Nashville for a time. And then when we split up, I went into uh, Alabama and Georgia, Memphis, you know, Tennessee and all over the place and i mean in that at that era um i was wrestling like 10 times a week you know so it might as well have been a territory because uh, you know if you, you don't mind getting in a car and they, yeah see the snoots knows he knows my chicken knows you know you get in the car and you go from nashville on a wednesday night you know into huntsville alabama uh, about an hour south of there for a later show and then you, you know, you go here on a Thursday, you go to Smyrna on a Saturday, you go to Memphis on a Sunday, you know, you just, whatever it is. Yeah. See, and, um, <laughs> he knows he's, he's cussing in chicken right now. He's a feisty little guy. Um, we need subtitles yeah, here. There were, there was times like every other week I would work with Jerry Lawler. So that would be usually on a Saturday and I would, you know, I'd get there in Memphis and, and work, uh, you know, two-hour tv show or they do an hour live an hour pre-tape so there's a match on each of those then maybe a, an afternoon show to sort of again my chicken is going to constantly do run-ins on this thing so just fyi <laughs> you want so to yeah hurt. yeah we do maybe a, an afternoon like a promotional show maybe at a mall or a car dealership or something and then we get to the memphis coliseum and work and then we probably all end up working in the battle royal as well so that's five matches in one day 
you know, and then a lot of shows you do some yeah. double shots you get to a place and, you know, you'd wrestle in one place and then a couple hours away, you'd, you'd, you know, you do the first match in one show and the last match at the second show, a couple hours away or an hour away or whatever. So, I mean, I could rack up 10 matches a week easy and it was against, you know, all shapes and sizes. And I'd be on shows with, you know, guys like Bobby Eaton, Paul Diamond, Pat Tanaka, you know, just the list goes on and on and on. Rock and Roll Express, you know, just, yeah, the list goes on and on. And so you just can't help but pick up things like a sponge, you know, you just, like, I, I was a grown ass, you know, I am a grown ass man. I mean, I'm a giant child for sure, but, you know, being a grown ass man that was a, a bouncer, a bodyguard, a tournament fighter and all this stuff. And then you, you get to these shows and you instantly turn into ass kicking dude and you turn into like a giant little kid, like, holy shit, that's a, you know, that's a rock and roll express or that's a dragon or that's a nature boy or that's a this or that's a that These road warriors and whatever. So you just constantly feel like a little kid. And as, as much as I was being, a, you know, a wrestler, a bad guy or whatever I was staring across the ring from some legends that I grew up watching, I was just always like I was pretending to be so angry. But on the inside, I was just like, this is awesome. I feel like a little kid. This is so cool to get my ass kicked. It's going to be awesome, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know, I mean, standing across from King Kong Bundy or the Road Warriors or the you know Wild Samoans or something, the first thought is, man, this is super fun. And then the second thought is, holy shit, what am I doing with my life? I'm about to get my ass kicked. And then the third, the third thought is like, man, you combo both of those things. Whether I get my ass kicked, I'm living my dreams, and this is awesome. So Absolutely. it kind of it's, uh, it's all fuel, you know. It's just, it's, it's the funnest thing ever. Sin, you mentioned Jake already, and I know like he's been uh, a friend for a long time. How did you guys meet up? So we we met in England on a show, and and you know at, at that time I'd heard a lot of rumors about him having demons and this and that, and I knew the whole you know the cliche of don't aspire to meet your heroes, but I was still excited to meet him nonetheless. And he turned out to be a total jerk. He was totally an asshole to me, and um, and we didn't really get along until we did and then we, we wrestled and then we kind of got along from there and then uh uh we started kind of joking around and our humor was sort of on point and and then uh i didn't see him for i don't know maybe about a year or so and then we wrestled again we did a whole loop in uh in my neck of the woods in ontario canada and we wrestled like three nights in a row and we just got along great we just we got along really well and um he invited me to, uh, you know, kind of hit the road with him. He just said, Hey kid, I think Vince would really like you. you got a great look. Um, you work really hard. You bust your ass. Um, let me, let me take you on the road and kind of polish you up, get you ready for Vince. And, um, I took him up on it and we both never looked back. We've been thick as thieves ever since. It's awesome. I mean, who better to learn psychology from than Jake Roberts? Right, exactly. That's the thing being, again, in that unicorn age bracket where, you know, so Jake is as sharp as a knife right now, you know, but he's in his late 60s. So he right. physically can do a whole heck of a lot in the ring. You know, he manages Lance uh, Archer and that's awesome. Um, but like he's sort of almost like right now, I would think he's kind of in an even scarier version of like Freddie Blassie managing Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov when I was a kid, like. When I was young and watched WWE, I didn't know about wrestling history. I didn't know that Freddie Blassie was the scourge of Japan and he was this California villain and Absolutely. he was a wrestling vampire that sharpened his teeth and bit guys in the head and, you know, Eight juiced them. 
you know, all that stuff. So, you know, for all the young kids probably dialing and seeing Jake is this scary manager to Lance Archer, that might be all they know of Jake, not realizing what an amazing wrestling history he has. So, you know, wrestling with him and just logging those car hours and those restaurant hours and just sitting on the couch watching football or watching wrestling tapes or whatever, you know, I kind of it's been sort of pointed out to me weirdly over the years by other wrestlers like guys like raven and stuff like that like man you are literally jake the snake's portable hard drive like you are young enough that you have all this knowledge and um you know comboed with everything you've learned you know aside from that so it's weird like people can go oh joker or spalding or rob zombie or whatever but i really more look at myself more like ultron where i am just this satellite that is kind of orbited around the universe, collecting knowledge and just coming back every time is just a, a meaner, badder mofo, you know? And, um, that, that Jake knowledge is definitely a massive foundation for what I do. Like I don't wrestle like Jake, but there is a lot of Jake isms and a lot of, uh, psychology that is all based around sort of Jake's teachings, so to speak. And I've got I've got a thousand and one, a million and one dirty Jake style tricks that I can bring to the ring that are again, it's not rocket science. It's just a lost art from a lost era that a lot of guys are just not so uh, quick to either uh, learn because they just they, it's not in front of them. They don't know. So when I when I wrestle a lot of guys, they'll say, "Holy crap, that was fun!" or "That was crazy!" or "I didn't ever do it like that!" or "I didn't know we could do it like that." So yeah, well, that's this. I wrestle sort of a modern day, old school style where I'm bringing a lot of old school tricks, but I morph for the modern day. Like I don't personally consider myself old school or new school. I'm I'm more like Jeet Kune Do. I'm water. I'm I'm fluid. You know, water can whittle through the cracks and it can smash rock. It's versatile. And that's that was very much how Jake sort of taught me to think. And I kind of thought like that in my first place. So he only enhanced that train of thought. You know, you, you mentioned the uh the unicorn era and that that gap between the old guard and really the, the gap between the old guard and the new guard. I'm curious because you, you hit it right on the head, the the psychology, the <clears throat> telling a story with the match and and the the in-ring kind of <laughs> narrative that that's <clears throat> and no disrespect to the current talent that's kind of lost a lost art. You really don't see it much in wrestling today. Yeah. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on on what exactly because you had a transition group. You, you you mentioned you and Edge and and you know uh, uh, Christian and and. Uh, you talked about Frank Xarian earlier and guys that have done uh, been around a lot longer than, you know, and done both. W- what is it that where that, that kind of aura was lost? Was it the fact that, that you guys trained with the right group and then the new, the new younger wrestlers today trained with a different group and just never picked it up or. I, I honestly, uh, not to sound like a crotchety old gruff old timer. I try to be modern. I try to be nice. I, I enjoy to be nice. Like I like to be a nice human. But as far as pro wrestling, you know, it's it's sports entertainment, you know, and and it's, you know, for lack of a better term, simulating combat, because I, I don't like to put it like that, but we're, we're clobbered each other pretty good sometimes. You know, some stuff that looks easy is really difficult. Some stuff that is difficult looks really easy and all that comboed with the storylines and the different, you know, styles of how guys do and girls do what they do. Um, but I think to boil it down to its simplest form is 
this modern day era is just the gentlest era of humanity right now. I mean, when, when have humans had it softer, you know, the people that think they're super duper, uh, I don't know. I don't, again, I don't want to get all, I'm, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth online and, and, uh, you know, get myself canceled or anything like that. But I think, you know, people that think they have it rough are, are crying into thousand dollar smartphones to talk about, it. you know, where, you know, cowboys that were roughing the terrain of, uh, you know, of the Americas back in the day with little horse and buggy and whatever, pretty sure they had it rougher than we do these days. I'm pretty sure they, punch the crap out of each other in bars like I, I grew up in bars I grew up bouncing I grew up fighting and you know I'm, I, I bounced with edge for for a long time I can't tell you how many fist fights we went shoulder to shoulder with you know in real life so I think what I'm trying to say is we just grew up in a much gruffer time when like nowadays if somebody irritated somebody else and they smacked somebody else that person who got smacked would sue them and then that would be the end of the first the the, the smacker's life. Well, back in the day, you you knock each other's shoulders, you spilt each other's beer, you fist fought, and then you forgot about it. And that was it. You didn't worry about lawsuits and this and that or whatever. You're just manly men doing manly things, and that was that. So I think with those manly things came a lot of instinct. But nowadays, I think the closest thing to uh, guys and girls knowing what fighting is like is in video games. And I'm glad that they are not really real fighting. So let me just put that out there. I'm glad I don't condone real violence. I certainly don't. Um, I just came from a different era where I feel like demolition man sometimes, a lot of time. And you just look at things a little bit different. Like if you put your knuckles up, you don't, I don't need to be called, hey, put your knuckles up. Like if you put your knuckles up, I'm going to react. If that makes any sense. Yeah. You know, or I, I've, yeah. I've seen wrestling students, like I'll, I'll get in there with a, a like, guys will book a lot of those like 60 minute broadways with me just to see if they can go. And that's kind of a rite of passage in our industry. There's not a lot of guys and girls that can do it. Even, even in the main companies, there's not a lot of guys and girls that can do a 60 minute off the fly Broadway. And so I remember more than once I would put my Dukes up and I would just see this young person standing across from me, standing there and not putting their Dukes up. I'm like, you should probably put your Dukes up. This will go a lot smoother, you know, like just having instinct, you know, like, like, do you want to be Captain Kirk or do you want to be the guy in the red shirt that gets chopped out in the first two seconds of a Star Trek episode? Like, <laughs> you know, put your freaking dukes up, you know, like you don't have to be a wrestling expert to just to have instinct, you know. But again, we, we grew up fighting. We grew up, hey, there's some bullies. They're 10 times bigger than us. We should get the heck out of here. You know, nowadays, I don't think kids know that fear. Teeny boppers or young don't know that fear, you know, so. Uh, as going back to Jake the Snake, like the difference between somebody that's brave and, uh, you know, somebody that's stupid is the awareness of danger. You know, like if a baby face, a good guy can be scared, but he is a baby face because he stands his ground, even knowing the odds are super daunting. If you just, you know, if you're some, you know, I don't know. Just, I'm just painting a picture. I'm just being hypothetical. But if you're some five foot five, 120 pound little, you know, 19, 20, 21 year old kid, and you walk in front of a biker and, and you say something stupid to him, you have no fear of that biker, that big, scary Harley Davidson riding biker, because you don't know anything about real instinct. Whereas, like when we were kids, if you pissed off a biker, you freaking ran 
or something like that. Cause you just do what if this guy got off his bike and swatted me, it's not going to be pleasant. So it just, I remember literally I was riding. So I live in Vegas here and I was just riding. I was riding around doing errands. I don't even remember what I was doing. And I'm on my, I'm on my motorcycle looking the way I look. And I just want to turn right, uh, you know, just to go wherever I'm going. And these two like TD boppery guys, you know, they weren't small, they weren't big, just two normal dudes were walking and they were walking at a snail's pace. And I, and they made eye contact with me and I just kind of like shrugged my eyebrows, like, come on guys, like get moving. I just want to get going, you know? And as soon as they realized that I wanted to go, they went even slower. And I thought, you know, they don't, they don't know that I'm a nice person, but I could easily have put my kickstand down, got off. I could have pulled both of their stupid little heads off. They couldn't have done a thing about it. They'd have been unconscious and never been able to see what my license plate read. And then I would have been out of there before they ever knew what hit them. And they were just lucky that I happen to be a nice guy that doesn't want to hurt people. But I mean, when I was a kid, if I was one of those kids at the sidewalk and I looked over and I saw a scary biker giving me the eye, I'd have freaking stepped it up, you know? So that makes any kind of sense. It's the lack oh, yeah. of in these days where you'd be surprised, like guys walking to a wrestling school and they're like, oh, we want to wrestle. And then. You put your dukes up and then he stand there looking at you like an accountant or something. And I'm like, uh, we're going to need to teach you guys some instincts. You know, you know, we could teach you how to do a suplex or a hip toss or whatever. We can't really teach you how to have fighterly instincts. Like you're going to have to figure that out. And since they don't have, you know, bar fights and this and that these days, and I'm glad for it. Don't get me wrong again, not condoning real violence, but I'm, I'm saying if, if it's not something you have in your instinct that you grew up learning, uh, treat it like an actor doing research. So again, Mel Gibson didn't just make up a Scottish accent when he went to play Braveheart. Probably researched it, probably figured it out, and that's how he played the role. You know, so just if you've never been in a real fight as a pro wrestler, just go watch some tape. Go watch some UFC. Go watch some bar fights. Go watch some whatever the heck you could get your hands on. You know, just to simulate those instincts if you don't have them for real. And if, if I, I promise you. There is UFC fighters or bar fighters or just farmers or bikers or truckers that can watch pro wrestling and go, yeah, that guy's never been in a real fight. Well, that guy has, you know, so maybe maybe the little accountant, and I'm not being mean, I'm not picking on accountants. There might be some very tough accountants out there, but, you know, I'm just playing the odds. Maybe that little accountant or that little, you know, whatever grocery clerk doesn't know what a real punch looks like. But that biker does, or that plumber does, or that trucker does, and so forth, or that factory worker does. So if your craft isn't convincing, you're going to get exposed at some point. And I think, so I, I know I'm giving you the super long convoluted answer, but really the long, again, to boil it down, is just if you don't have instincts, you need to pretend to have instincts. Otherwise, you're dead in the water. And no fancy move is going to convince me otherwise. Gotcha. So again, what? Oh, that was the most long-winded yeah. answer ever. I'm just trying to yes. explain, like, from a fighterly position, something that should look brutal, like this shouldn't look. I, I, I'm cool with fancy moves. I, I have no problem. I'm not a grumpy old-timey guy that doesn't want to see fancy moves. I'm super cool with fancy moves, but I just want to see it all done with some of that sandpaper roughness. I want to see it look gritty. Gotcha. So uh, my understanding is with with Kazarni that you had a, a bit of input or a good amount of input into the character, but not not total input into the character. Um, so 
if if you if, if Vince had said to you, your name is going to be Kazarni, you're going to be a carnival guy, but everything else is up to you, how you want to you know portray yourself. How would you have done it any different than it was actually you know presented? I would have done a lot of things different. Like, I mean, I was really appreciative uh, to be Kazarni. I was really appreciative for that opportunity. I was, I was and am very appreciative for Vince McMahon to take a chance of me and WWE to take a chance of me. I don't have any ill will towards that company. Um, I just wish that if I had more input, like nobody knows you better than you. So if if they let me have a bit more input, maybe things might have been a little bit different. Because to this day, I mean, I make a living and a pretty good living being a pro wrestler, traveling the world, and I do what I want. And I'm often, uh, quite often, if not every show met with, holy crap, that looked brutal, that looked crazy, that was this, that was that, I've never saw anything like that before, it's because I'm doing what I want. I'm not just falling into a pocket and just doing some, what I would call cover band stuff. So when I see a kid that does a really great shooting star press, I'm really not impressed because there's a thousand guys that can do that now. I want to see somebody that stands out to me. Don't be the thousand and one guy that does the awesomest Canadian destroyer or dive or shooting star press or whatever. Be the first guy or girl to do this new thing that I've never seen. You know, like if I get to a show and I'm wrestling with somebody, I say, all right, what's your finish? And they tell me a Claymore or a Styles Clash. I'm like, well, but is that really your finish or is that really your signature move? Like, I don't know if you know what those words mean. I don't know if you know what signature means. <laughs> Harvey Snooze knows. Snooze knows. Like they know, you know, so like, you know, it's fine to, to borrow and, and take and, you know, uh, all that stuff from other wrestlers, but Hey, if somebody is currently doing it, probably not a good, a good idea. Cause you're just advertising them. Like when I hear indie guys chop each other and the whole crowd goes, woo, 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 woo. Um, they're not advertising themselves. They're advertising Ric Flair. I'm pretty sure Ric Flair doesn't need your help. So how's about you advertise yourself, you know, or if you want to do something that looks like a Styles Clash or looks like a Claymore, then just bend it, spin it, tweak it to be your own. Don't just do it exactly like the original practitioner. Then that way you're you're an original act and not a cover band. Even if you're a really good cover band, you're a cover band nonetheless. Yeah, right. Would you have made uh, Kazani a, a tad darker than than he was portrayed, or than you you know you had to portray him? Absolutely, I, I I would have gone the natural progression of what I was doing in in Florida. There, I I don't know how much FCW stuff is online or on the. I guess the network is out the window now with Peacock and all that stuff. I don't know what you can see or can't see on it. You know, I'll, I'll watch the pay per views and I'll watch. The, I keep current on all the shows, but as far as finding stuff from yesteryear like if you see me at a show now currently that's that that's my natural progression that's what i want to do if you see me doing that stuff it's because that's what i want to do not because that's what i was told by corporate to do and again i'm super super duper grateful for my time at wwe but it, it's a big corporation and they want you to do what they want you to do good bad or indifferent and they make a lot of great decisions and then then they miss a lot of stuff too you know it's a wonderful company but when you're that big you're gonna you're gonna do good things and you're gonna make mistakes like anywhere you know or, and so forth so i i never understood that match when you against uh, mvp because 
He was the to me. He was the the lovable loser heel at that point, which means that he was you know the crowd had sympathy for him. And then they bring you out as a baby face. So you you know you have a baby face against somebody who they're trying to make into a baby face. And it, it, to me at least, it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it was. I was kind of flung in there because I think Vince was anxious to get me on TV. And then when he realized yet another week was gone by where I wasn't getting thrown on, I think they he was just like kind of put me in, put put him in there somewhere. And that was the quickest thing the writers could kind of come up with. And so they jammed me in with MVP, who was, as you said, he was a bad guy on a losing streak, which was creating sympathy for him, turning him babyface. So here I come looking like a heel, moving like a heel, but I'm supposed to be a good guy. You know, at that stage of the game, like nowadays, weirdly, as creepy and as scary as I can be, nine out of ten times, I wrestle as a good guy. Um, but back then, I really had wrestled about 95% of my career as a bad guy. So I was I was a fun bad guy. I was a kick-punch bad guy. I was a big bump bad guy. Um, but a bad guy nonetheless. So nowadays, you know, I've got a million spots I can pull out that are good guy stuff. And I can, I'm slick enough where I can make them get a heel reaction or a baby face reaction, depending on how I set the table with those moves and tell my stories. But at that stage of the game, I was really quite used to being a villain. And then Vince was dead set on me being a good guy, which is fine. It's his company. He's the boss. He's assigning the checks. No problem, sir. Um, but the story was confusing. I think, I think confusion was my only friend that day, seeing as it was like the third hour of a fourth hour of a double TV taping in Jersey at the IZOD center which was a predominantly a heel crowd is what i was sort of led to believe so i think they wanted to enjoy the bad guy beating up the good guy which hopefully accidentally turned into cheers for me thinking i was the bad guy when really i was the good guy so it was just very 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 confusing and then also too you know my entrance was kind of very like last minute because again they just Vince sort of barked at everybody to get me out there so they kind of just did a makeshift intro um, and then on top of that, the match, I really didn't have a whole lot to do input wise with that. I just, I take what I, as a good soldier, this is, this is the hand I've been dealt. This is what they want. So I'm going to do it to, to the best of my capability, but they wanted me to like, I basically squeaked out a 10 minute victory on a guy on a losing streak where I needed to come in and just beat the crap out of somebody in like two minutes. That's what I needed to do. So on any given night, that match would have been just fine. It was just not the match we needed for that night, if that makes any sense. It does. Like, yeah, no, like I, I get you. I should have came out and just beat the crap out of Funaki or somebody like that. You know, somebody lovable, somebody smaller than me, and just ate him up in, in, in a minute or two. And I've, I've said it before, you know, guys have asked me this question, where what would I have done? So in comparison to what was done, so which everybody knows, came out to a digital Ferris wheel and I squeaked out a victory in 10 minutes on a guy in a losing streak. My entrance in my mind's eye would have been, uh, you know, instead of pyro or anything like that, I want, I wanted those big green black pyres of smoke and soot, like, you know, like uh, brimstone and, you know, kind of, kind of like, a, you know, flash Gordon movie where they had, would have been a gas chamber where you saw that, that old murky cloudy red and black and green smoke. I would have had that. And I would have had, little people little people juggling and still stilt walkers and contortionists and all sorts of really creepy hard to look at things 
I would have had, you know, cats and penguins and giraffes, whatever the heck I could get my hands on budget wise, you know, and I would have come to the ring in a, in a little tiny clown car where you couldn't see what was in it. And I would have had the clown car bump up against the, the ring, which underneath the ring, I would have had loaded with clowns. And I would have had a ton of clowns spill out of the car that would come out of the ring. And I would have stayed in the ring, like kind of like the, uh, Danny DeVito playing Penguin in Batman 2, where he had that big ducky, that big ducky yes. mobile thing. So I would have been in this really bizarre looking clown car, have the have the baby face in the middle of the ring, going like, what the heck is going on? He's getting surrounded by clowns, and there's smoke and penguins and cats and jugglers and whatever the heck is all around. And then I would have had the sunroof pop open and like a giant hot box just smoke come out of that car and have curiosity kill the cat where the baby face, you know, looks like kind of hops over the ropes, hops onto the hood of the car, looks into the sunroof and have a big one of those big mechanical boxing gloves come up and knock them and have them go flying back into the ring. And then out comes me like Danny DeVito and Batman 2 and boom, bada bing, one, two, three. That's what I would have done. So I, you know, I better go uh, see that thing yeah. on, on. Right. On, yeah. So everybody listening and, and, and for you guys uh, hosting me, you know, you can compare digital Ferris wheel, 10 minute match or what i just said i, I did like your finishing hole though is that is that tallulah bell that you you yeah. nailed him with yes that is tallulah bell and i i had never seen that before yeah again i'm not i'm not gonna do the i'm not gonna be the 23rd guy to do a canadian destroyer or they hit 800th guy to do a super kick or some such i'm gonna right. be the first i'm gonna be the first guy to hit tallulah bell in fact, I've never seen that before or after. And I've been watching wrestling for many, many years. Well, thank you. I want I want to do some kind of weird variant of a DDT to kind of put over my, you know, my mentor, Jake the Snake. But I wanted it to be unique. I didn't want to just do a DDT. And again, right. everybody is, you know, bastardized that move into just like Jake's words, brother, they turned my finish into a cutoff, you know. So guys are hopping up from that move, except unless you get DDT from Jake. So I wanted something that was vicious, but something that I could do on all shapes and sizes. Like, so I, I could hit Tallulah Bell on any, everybody from Horn Swaggle to Big Show and everybody in between. Nice. You, you know, speaking of comparisons, I have to ask this as, as both a fan of wrestling and as a huge nerd, as a, as a 501st member myself and just a Star Wars fan in general, I've heard Benny, Benny, actually uh, introduced me to it in an interview you did where you compared star Wars and wrestling. And you went into a whole long analogy of characters and heels and faces and everything like that. And obviously anybody that's ever seen interviews with you or the clips from your show, uh, they know that your, your um, home is, is very much decorated with memorabilia and collectibles and figures and, and statues and things like that. I'm curious if you could kind of go into that again or what what kind of gave you that that image? Because, like I said, as a huge as both 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 a fan of yours in wrestling and as a Star Wars fan, I really kind of marked out to that whole explanation you gave. So why do I compare wrestling to Star Wars? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, Star Wars is just it's a really great story and pro wrestling, if done well, should be a great story whether it's technical or knuckle sandwiches or haha or lucha or this or that still a story of good versus evil and star wars epitomizes that it has different rungs of characters it's got your 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 curtain jerkers your mid carters your main eventers you know it's got story you know 
baby face turns and heel turns and swerves and dips and doodles and all these things. It's got fun things to look at, you know, like, you know, when you watch Star Wars, you're not just looking at two hours of lasers and space monsters and spaceships and this and that. You're watching a really concise story. All the lasers and all the costumes and the, the landscapes of the different <laughs> and chickens and all the different landscapes of the planets and whatever, that just helps the story along, but it's there to help the story. If you've noticed, like sometimes when they do uh, a superhero movie and it's done wonderfully, it's because the story is on point and all the cool stuff adds to the story. And then if you watch a crappy superhero movie, it's just because they're using the visuals are the are the main thing. And then the story is secondary. When the story is secondary, as Harvey Snoots would say, it sucks, you know. So Star Wars relied first on the story, second on the on the, the bells and whistles, all the cool costumes and the different things or whatever. So. Who gives a crap about Luke without Darth? Who gives a crap about Darth without Luke? So, you know, whether it's Ricky Morton versus Ric Flair or if it's Hulk Hogan versus Zeus or it's AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar or who the heck ever, you know, you need one to beget the other. There is no good without evil. There is no evil without good. You know, so if AJ Styles isn't jumping out of the way of Brock Lesnar or if uh, Biggie isn't getting out of the way of Bobby Lashley and so forth, so forth. You know, there's there's no jeopardy. If there's no jeopardy, there's no heat. If there's no heat, there's no war. And why are we dialing in to watch, you know, just ping pong? I don't want to just see spots. I don't want to see cool move, cool move, cool move, cool move with no payoff and no jeopardy because then it just becomes ping pong. For me, there's no heat and ping pong. There's heat and war. Like you want to see is Darth Vader going to conquer the galaxy or is Luke Skywalker going to save the day and liberate everybody? You know, that's the deal. And wh whether they do it with cool lightsabers or whether they do it with their Jedi mind tricks or whether they do it with laser guns or Death Stars or X-Wing fighters, it's the story of good and evil. So for all the young wrestlers out there, if you're thinking about your match in terms of hurricane ranas and eye gouges and dives and clotheslines, your match is going to be flat. I can tell you right now. If you're thinking, oh, how is AJ Styles going to hit the, uh, you know, a phenomenal forearm if he can't climb the top ropes because Brock Lesnar chewed his leg off. You know, like how is he gonna how how is he gonna have a hope in hell of killing this monster, destroying this monster if he can't take to the air and really you know do what he needs to do? Or Rey Mysterio versus Kane or just whatever. You know, how is Rey Mysterio gonna get it done if Kane takes his legs out or if Kane hurts his back and then he can't fly around? Whatever, whatever. So it's you know Rey Mysterio is a wonderful painter in the ring because. He's doing such uh, extraordinary things that maybe might not happen in real life, but his real life details are so on point that he combos real with fictional to tell you a wonderful story. So again, just like Star Wars, you know, there's some space monsters and there's, there's Death Stars and there's all this stuff that is all fictional, but the strife of Hey, is you know Luke gets his parents job by Darth Vader and stormtroopers kill his parents and then he's got to find a coach and he finds a coach and he's got to rescue a princess and he's got to save the world and he's got to destroy a Death Star that's going to destroy everything you know so all the fancy ass details are just ketchup on the burger if the burger's not delicious the ket the best ketchup in the world isn't going to fucking help so there you go you know, every move I do, every spot I do works for me in my match, not the other way around. Like, 
I, I am over or I am getting heat depending on if I'm a good guy or a bad guy, not my moves. Like, no, there's, there's no fan. I guarantee you've never sat in a, in a restaurant or sat on your buddy's couch and looked at your buddy and said, man, I need to go to a wrestling show tonight. Cause I got to get my drop kick fix, man. I got to, I'm jonesing to see a pile driver. I'm jonesing to see a dive. You don't talk about wrestling like that. You're like, Oh, I want to see Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper. Oh, I want to see Charlotte uh, versus B, uh, Bianca. Oh, I want to see uh, Seth versus Edge. You don't ever go, man, I just jones in to see a spear tonight. That's not how the mind works, you know. And after a match, there's no fans saying, oh, well, Seth Rollins' elbow wasn't quite up on this uh, sling blade or whatever. You just go, whoa, that match was awesome. Or I liked it or I didn't like it or I was bored or I was riveted. You don't start psychoanalyzing the mechanics and all the stuff. Like, you don't leave uh, Star Wars uh, a cinema watching Star Wars going, man, Spielberg or, or uh, George Lucas or whatever was really chintzy on this detail. He didn't put a lot of budget in this, in the laser guns on this episode or whatever. You just go, man, that was really cool. Or I didn't like it or I loved it or I didn't like, it. you know, like your, your brain kind of boils it down to its bare bones. It just comes down to instinct and the story of good and evil. I think that's, at least from my perspective, I think that's a, a big part of what's wrong with the current product is that, you know, it's spot-based. It's not story-based. And they're really, you know, it's very hard to attach yourself to somebody because there really isn't, you know, the, the, it's pretty much everybody's a tweener. So who hey, do you, who, who do you root for? I don't just mean some cool vignette backstage or some, you know, some guy gets out of his car and looks all cool and brooding into the camera like it's a soap opera. I'm talking about stories that you can sink your teeth into, you know, like when uh, when Randy Orton arcadoed Beth Phoenix. If that's not going to spur the fire out of, of every husband watching TV, hell, I'm in on the gag and that got me mad. You know, like he's my brother. I thought, fuck, I'd love to beat the shit out of Randy Orton right now. You know, I'm just like, as I was so into the storyline. And then again, watching Edge make his Royal Rumble return. Did you see the look on that motherfucker's face? He was happy to be there. He was like, mm -hmm. holy crap, my body shouldn't have done this. I, I shouldn't be here. But out of pure persistence and perseverance, like he felt that moment. And when he feels it, you feel it. If he just walked out and went, hey, guys, I'm here, people went like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But when you see how excited and how what an uphill battle it took him to get there, that's the that that's the hook you know like that's like the feel-good moment and people want to attach themselves to this stuff like you know you're watching again i'm a big movie guy and you know you're watching whether it's star wars or anything like uh, i remember uh superman 2 with, with christopher reeve you know he falls in love with lois he wants to put over lois for some dumb reason the writers decide he's got to get rid of his powers if he's gonna if he's gonna spend the rest of his life with a human i don't know for whatever reason but that was the that was the, the deal. So he gives up his powers. So and then all of a sudden, of course, the bad luck is just three supervillains from the Phantom Zone come to planet Earth and they're wrecking everything. And he doesn't know about it because he's on his honeymoon in his freaking fortress of solitude with his earthling chick. And then he's like he comes back to Metropolis and goes, Holy shit, what did I do? Oh fuck. You know, so now he's gotta make it right. He's he's hitchhiking freezing his ass off, walking back to the North Pole. Everything is an uphill battle for the baby face. And you're like, how's he going to do this? He gave his powers away. He's totally screwed. What's he going to do? 
And then at the darkest hour, even when Lex Luthor's like, holy shit, man, I really would, Superman would be awesome right about now. And Lois Lane and, and uh, you know, Perry White and everybody's in the, in the office at the Daily Planet with these three villains with Zod and the, his couple of cronies. And you're thinking, holy shit, nobody can do anything. And all of a sudden, Superman's floating outside. General Zod, care to step outside? You know, you're, as a little kid, your heart jumps out of your throat. You're like, fuck yeah, Superman, fucking handle this shit. You know, like, if you can't, if you don't have a mo, if that, if that movie doesn't give you a frog in your throat, you're not a human, you know, like, you know, if you don't, if there's not something that you don't care about, whether it's fictional or in real life, like, well, what's the point of being alive? You know, like, as, as a red-blooded man, I think, and this is my just personal opinion, and people can disagree or whatever, but I think if you have nothing to, that you would die for, you've never truly lived. You know, like, I truly believe that. Like, there's, I, I love this country. I'm Canadian born and I live in, in the States. I moved here. I did everything the right way. I got my green card. I paid through the ass to have that green card. I jumped through so many hoops and I want, I don't want anything for nothing. I want to earn my keep and follow my dreams. When I promote shows and when I run my school, I employ many Americans. I am fully appreciative to be in the awesomest country in the world. So when I hear people go, ah, yeah, I'm embarrassed to be an American. It gets me so mad. I would die for this country. You don't like it here? Get the fuck out. You know, go somewhere else. Bend a knee somewhere else. And watch how quickly your head gets lopped off. You know, like this country is such a great place where you have freedom to be an asshole and take a knee in front of its flag. You know, like this is such a, a, a an amazing place that I would. I take a bullet for this country. I would. I remember even I tell Johnny Ace when I was when I was working as Kazarni and they were doing the, the, you know, sending over like the tribute to the troops all the time. I was just like, dude, put me on that plane. I want to go there because so many guys were scared to go there and they would refuse to go there. And that's their business. And I thought, dude, I would love to go entertain those troops. It would be my privilege to go entertain those troops, you know? And I thought I got bombed when I was over there. Then that's a pretty manly way to go out. I'm there to put smiles on the troops' faces that are keeping us all alive so we can run our stupid miles on Twitter and whatever. Are you kidding me? That would be a privilege, you know? So I think I bring that passion with me in life. I bring that passion with me in the ring. So if you can't match my passion, if I'm going to be more interesting and more fiery in the ring than you are and you're the good guy, uh, you're fucked because that makes me the good guy. If I'm more passionate and I'm more interesting than you, I can, you know, as a heel, I'll be just fine. But as, as a good guy, you're screwed. You know, if you're the gutless good guy or the stupid good guy, if you can't realize the danger you're staring across from, you're an idiot. Who wants to cheer for an idiot? You know, you need a good guy that recognizes, holy shit, this is a dangerous situation. Again, going back to Star Wars, Luke doesn't just stroll into the Death Star, swing his lightsaber around like it's, like it's a fucking, uh, you know, a baton at a parade. As soon as he sees Darth, he's like, oh, shit, it's on. I got to keep my dukes up. I got to be super duper cautious. And he's got to like, he's got to fight from underneath, you know. Like if you watch the Marvel event, uh, Avengers take it on Thanos, there's 20 Avengers getting the crap kicked out of him by this giant main event villain. You know, so the good guys are never, they've never got the bad guy on the ropes until the very end when they squeak out a very clever victory. Otherwise, like if the if the good guys are handling it through the whole movie, what do you 
what are you tuned in for? You want to see the good guys be put in peril and then prevail. Simple. That's it. Again, I know no disrespect to Steven Seagal, but I don't watch Steven Seagal movies because it's a two hour baby face over squash match. He doesn't sell anything. He'll be just fine. I don't need to know anything about him. Like Seagal will be just fine. That's why I tune in to see Spider-Man or, or Luke Skywalker or whatever, because they're or the Rebel, uh, Rebel uh, Alliance, because they're going to be fighting from the bootstraps. They're going to be fighting from underneath. You've got to go, how the hell are they going to pull this off? That's the strife. That's, that's where empathy and sympathy come in. And that's where fire comes in for the good guy. Like if you're not a creature of passion, then it's all going to fall flat. And I don't give a shit if it's a lightsaber or a Hurricane Rana. If you're not, if you're not swinging that lightsaber or throwing that Hurricane Rana with, with some passion and some stank, you're dead in the water. Can't go wrong with that. That's actually a, a hell of an analogy. And it tells the story. It kind of uh, brings the whole bit full circle. You were talking about being a kid watching, you know, uh, you mentioned like the rock and roll express and some of those guys where people, you know, like your, your, uh, Hulk Hogan comebacks or you Ricky Morton with the hot tag. That was the entire narrative was fighting until the bitter end. And then the big comeback and, you know, they didn't go in and squash. They didn't go in the heat. They, they became the conquering hero because you, you were on the edge of your seat wondering if they could actually do it, but hoping they could. I like that. Benny, as we uh, as we wrap up here, any final thoughts? Well, uh, you know, we, we we talk endlessly on all our shows about emotional investment by the fans and and lack thereof. And I, you know, Sin put it perfectly as far as you know why people aren't emotionally invested. You have to be invo- emotionally invested in the character and not the move. You 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 know, Bruno San Martino sold at Madison Square Garden 187 times. And it wasn't because somebody wanted to go see him, you know, hoist Toro Tanaka up in the backbreaker. It was all the build to that match. And, you know, people came to see Bruno. They didn't come to see him move. His whole run was on passion. You didn't tune in to see Bruno do a, a figure four or a lariat or a pile driver. You tuned into Bruno to see him kick a villain's ass. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's, absolutely. That, that's the deal. It makes me, it makes me giggle when, when guys and girls are trying to do these things that are just way too convoluted and complex and hurts their body where the fans don't know the difference. And then they, it falls flat. And I can't tell you how many shows where I've been on where wrestling was maybe the secondary thing. Like, you know, you're doing some wrestling matches to open up a ball game or you're doing wrestling matches at a, at a whatever kind of convention. And then these guys do these just these nonsensical moves one after another. And it doesn't hurt because if they're not injured and they're running around the ropes, well, any, any, any clown, pardon the pun, can tell, well, they're, they're fine. Those moves didn't hurt them because if they were hurt, they wouldn't be able to run around the ropes. So there's no worry to be have any jeopardy or sympathy for the good guy. And you don't have to hate the bad guy because he didn't do anything to the good guy. And then the match falls flat. And then the wrestlers uh, pass the buck and say, well, uh, the crowd wasn't a wrestling crowd. It just makes me giggle. I'm like, they're fucking humans, aren't they? Go entertain them. All humans, wrestling crowd or otherwise, I don't care if they're farmers or Harvard grads or astronauts or underwater shoelace salesmen. I don't give a shit. They're humans. Entertain them. Pull at their heartstrings. Figure out how to work and get in their skulls and see what what makes them tick and what makes them want to cheer and boo and all that stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Plain and simple. 
as we uh, as we wrap up here, Sin, um, what can the uh, what's it what's in the future for for somebody? What can the fans expect to see from you? Oh, uh, I'm going to wrestle until the wheels fall off. No doubt. I mean, I'm, I'm weirdly in better shape now than I was 20 years ago. Like all the guys joke me like, what are you like Benjamin button? Like what's going on? <laughs> it's aging in reverse. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, keeping active keeps me young. Like I wrestle all these young guys and they're ready to puke on themselves and I'm not breaking a sweat. And they're like, how the hell are you doing that old man? I'm like, cause again, I think there, a lot of these guys are, are really great, but a lot of them are just kind of soft and without instinct. I'm just working on old school style where I'm, I'm a, a man going at this, like a fight, you know? And then they kind of go, Holy crap. That was so fun. I didn't know it could be like that. I'm like, yeah, well, that's the best of both worlds. We'll take some old school stuff, take some new school stuff, the stuff that works, smash it together to entertain the fans. And if, if we're safe and the fans are happy, that's the ticket. You know, it, it, it as Al Snow would say, if, if the fans are happy and we're safe, it ain't wrong. Oh, there perfect. you go. And Absolutely. like, if you get to a, if you get to a show and you see some of these old school guys hobbling into the show and they didn't do in the ring a 10th of what some of these young guys are doing, how do you think, how soon do you think those young guys are going to be hobbling into a show? You know, like I, and I don't want to see anybody hobbling into a show. I want to see everybody healthy and happy. I want to see the fans happy. And I don't work lazy. I work hard. I put out in the ring. I, bend over backwards to make sure the fans are happy. I just do it uh, in a clever way where it's going to spare me and my, my opponent's bodies as best as possible, put on the best show as best as possible, make it look nitty gritty, make it look like, holy crap, like, okay, he could be silly one moment, scary as hell one moment, back again, because I'm toying with people's brains. I am working with psychology and storytelling. I don't care what moves we do. And I think if there was more of that, not that I have all the answers, I'm not the best wrestler in the world by far. Now, I will say I could hang with any wrestler at any company right now. No problem. No problem. Like, I would say, oh, I'm scared of Randy Orton. Oh, I'm scared of Cody Rhodes. I'd be happy to beat the crap out of either of those clowns at both companies. <laughs> in a working fashion, I could hang. There's, they're never going to hand me my ass. I'm going to take a chunk out of anybody I'm in the ring with. But I buy that. I bring that to the ring. Like I organically will exude that. I get so many young wrestlers. They're like, man, you are terrifying to wrestle. And afterwards, they're like, holy crap, you're the lightest guy ever. I'm like, yeah, it's called working, asshole. <laughs> so there you go. I like it. You know, we say this, Benny, what every week it seems like we, we barely scratch the surface of what we could talk about. Um, I mean, Benny and I are both Sam, both huge fans of your of your work. Um, I, I had a handful, couple of questions we didn't get to. We'll definitely try and have to have you back, uh, part two, to really go into some of the 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 meat. I mean, there were entire chunks of the schedule uh, or schedule the calendar the uh, the the timeline that we kind of glossed over. Uh, so so much more to talk about. But I appreciate all your time. Um, I, a special shout out to the animals for uh, being polite to us today. There you go. Yeah, I'm waiting, anytime, waiting for the Snoots merchandise line. That'd be great. Anytime you want me and my critters to come on and get weird with you guys, I'd be happy to do it. And you were asking me about what, what next. Just just check my social media. I do shows. I do seminars. I I sell the – I make – What happened? Instagram is all Sinbodhi, S-I-N-N-B-O-D-H-I. You'll see all my shenanigans there. And then my YouTube channel is Freak Show Wrestling. And you'll see promos, matches, all sorts of stuff. 
which is you have everybody that's listening has to watch at least two or three episodes of syndiculousness because it is the best kept secret on YouTube and it, it's absolutely brilliant. It's it's got stories. It's got humor. It's got sin doing his drawings, which we really haven't even touched upon. But the, the, those are, I mean, truly works of I art. Two episodes where I can showcase Harvey Snoots here, so Mr. <laughs> Fuji. I love it. So I do have You're one right. quick request uh, before Sin goes. I have a, 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 my granddaughter Lila, who's seven years old, who lives in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, is a huge fan. And um, when she wants to order Chinese food, it's Benny. Can I order some nizoodles and sizoop? So if you could possibly give her a shout out, I'm sure she'd be very appreciative. Absolutely, Lila. You have a wonderful day, sweetheart. Try not to be too hard on your old grandpa there. Uh, maybe, maybe if he doesn't order you the right uh, nizoodles and sizoop, maybe you could give him a chiz off and the chiz est and uh, get him to uh, pay attention to you and and. Uh, you could- you deserve it just the way I have to pay attention to Harvey Snoots, my my uh, chicken here. So, Lila, you have a wonderful day, and you're lucky to have uh, an awesome grandpa and a funny uncle right here. So there you go. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Yes, sir. Thank you, Sin. I uh, appreciate, again, all your time. Um, and and as you said, there's plenty of good stuff out there. Uh, Freak Show Wrestling and your, your YouTube and social media channels are just a plethora of just entertainment top to bottom. So anybody, everybody check it out. Uh, again, we appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy your evening and uh, give our best to to your background family there. <laughs> well, on behalf of my chicken, Harvey Snoots, and my my lovely uh, my lovely lady cat here, Mr. Fuji, I will tell you all, be safe, <laughs> be smart, be kind. Snoots 2024. <laughs> yes, sir. Another wow. excellent interview. Good, good times. <laughs> I, I just, I wish we had like four more hours. Oh yeah, no, we definitely have to have to do that again. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Benny. Yeah, I, what he didn't get into, I and mean, when he when he says he gives it his all, he he wasn't joking around. Right before we went on the air, I watched it, uh, one of his matches against, you know, his freak show wrestling promotion. The ma- the match was against somebody named Funny Bone. And it was a heaven and hell match, which, you know, it's, it's a hardcore match. And I've seen, I mean, I've seen everything in a hardcore match, but I saw something that I never, ever saw before. This guy, Funny Bone, they, somehow uh, they got a hold of a stapler. So at, at first, uh, Sin was stapling dollar bills into uh, uh, Funny Bone's hand, which, you know, he probably should have stapled them in his own hand or on his trunks. But then, but the best was that then somehow, uh, Funny Bone got hold of the stapler, and and lo and behold, he found an eight by ten glossy of himself that he stapled to the st- top of Sin's head, and then he autographed it. He found a sharpie too. I mean, everything That's was hilarious. Like, the eight by ten. The sh- I mean, but the, I guess my point of all of it is every fan in that place was going batshit. They were one hundred percent into the match, and that's right. what it's all about. Oh, absolutely. And I mentioned, and he he brought it up his his freak show wrestling, which was, you know, not just unique and wrestling. And I mean, unique in the, the invisible steel cage match, which 
you know, you have to check out some of those highlights. The you know, uh, but also the plethora of entertainment. He talked about it in his entrance. You had you know, uh, uh, sideshow entertainment. Um, the amazing Jonathan, who's one of my favorite entertainers across any genre. Uh, the comedy magician was involved heavily in some of their earlier Vegas broadcasts. I mean, just pure entertainment, top to bottom. That guy and I, uh, I. I can't, I, I just, like you said, you know, we have to have them back. Um, as we wrap up though, it's been a hell of a week. I do want to give a shout out. We, we were recording this on the 14th of September. Um, it's, it's not really wrestling related. Just something I wanted to bring up. Uh, Lawrence Brooks, uh, he's come up a few times in conversation, uh, but he turned 112 today. He's actually the oldest wow. living U S world war II veteran. Wow. Um, he was, uh, he was a member of the African-American, the 91st Engineer Battalion. So um, I just a shout out to him. And uh, he's come up a few times in some of the packages, uh, the hero, the salute to the troops and the hero. So you, you've seen his picture, I'm sure, at least in at least in one or two of the montages that wrestling has done. But I had a quick shout out to him as we wrap up tonight. Uh, any closing thoughts, Benny? No, I, I again, it just time went too fast. Way too absolutely. fast. I mean, yeah, I had a whole bunch of questions and I got to maybe, you know, one fifth of them. Yeah, hard to believe it's been an hour already. But uh, when you get somebody as fun to talk to as Sin was, oh, yeah. that's how it goes. So um, for Benny Scala and for the uh, wonderful and entertaining Sin Bodie, I'm Dan Spasciano. Have a good night, everyone. And as always, happy wrestling. Good night, folks, and stay safe.